Hi, I'm Clay Smith, the lead pastor at Alice Tribe Baptist Church in Sumter, South Carolina. Thanks for joining us online today. Uh, most Sundays I say thanks for joining us online, and I'm also talking to a room full of people, but today everybody's online. We are one church in hundreds of locations today, literally all around the world. So thank you for sharing in this time of worship with us. Has this not been the weirdest week ever? I mean, we started off the week and schools were closed and we thought that was pretty wise. But the next thing we know, uh, restaurants are closing, uh, workplaces are telling people to work from home. Everything has turned out crazy. Who knew a week ago we'd be so concerned with toilet paper being the main issue of our lives? But the truth is, it's been a weird week. I had a man tell me that he wanted me to pray for me. And I I said, uh, pray for him. And I said, of course. And he said, uh, Pastor, I'm afraid I'm going to starve to death. And I said, why? And he said, well, my wife hasn't cooked in 20 years, and I don't know how to cook. We eat every meal out, and I think I'm going to starve to death. And I looked at him, and I said, I don't think you're going to starve to death. I think you have plenty to go on. So in this week, people have responded with anxiety, a lot of people concerned about Uh, There being a conspiracy, I've even heard rumors about the National Guard is going to come in and shut everything down. That's not going to happen, folks. Other people have taken this just way too casually. Uh, A lady came up to me and said, Pastor, I'm not afraid of getting the virus. Come give me a big hug. And I told her, I know you're not afraid, but I'm afraid. So, you know, we've had to make some adjustments. Even here at church, we've made out a couple of plans, what we should do, what we should not do. And those plans then blow up in our face. This is a little bit like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's hard to get things just right. And so in this time, I want to share with you three words that I think will help you as you cope with the coronavirus epidemic. Three simple words. The three words, peace, love, and joy. So let's look first at peace. The night before Jesus was betrayed and he would die on the cross, he said something amazing to his disciples. Now just think of the possible stress that Jesus must have been feeling. And think of the anxiety of his disciples. Judas is left. They don't know quite what's going on. And this is what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's an amazing verse. Jesus wants to give you the gift of peace. If you don't hear anything else I say today, will you hear this, that Jesus wants to give you peace. It is the same peace that Jesus has. Now, when the Bible talks about peace, it's not just absence of conflict. When the Bible talks about peace, it is a deep and profound sense of wholeness, of soundness, that your soul is together. Jesus wants to give you the gift that he has, the peace that he has, because Jesus never had a fragmented soul. Now, the followers of Jesus, we believe that you can never have this peace until you actually know Jesus. You cannot have a whole soul 
unless you know Jesus. Now, just kind of remind you what your soul is. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. And so your soul consists of your heart or your will where you make decisions. And we've all had to make decisions this week about how we're going to respond to the coronavirus. Your soul also is your mind where you have thoughts and feelings. And your thoughts and feelings always are doing a dance. Sometimes it's your feelings that affect your thoughts. Sometimes it's your thoughts that affect your feelings. And those influence your decisions. Then you have a body. And your body is the seat of your desires and your appetites. You know, real interesting when we talk about desires and appetites, a lot of times we think in terms of substances. But did you know your body actually has a desire for community? That's why so many of you right now are struggling because you feel isolated, you feel cut off. Uh, A psychological study has actually found that people who have community, connection with other people, are 50% less likely to die than people who don't have community. Which is why at Alice Drive, we have a motto, get in community or die. Now, it's a little hard to do these days. That's one of the reasons we're offering you online group experiences. Chances to be able to connect with other people as best we can in this time. Now, you'd only only have a heart where you make decisions and a mind where there are thoughts and feelings and a body where you have appetites and desires. You also have relationships. And in these days, relationships are really mattering. We, we, we need to know that we matter to somebody, that somebody is aware of what's going on in our lives. Now, because sin entered into our lives, our souls are fragmented. So we don't always make good decisions. We often have confusion about our thoughts and feelings. We can also be confused about our appetites and and try to satisfy some feeling issue or thought issue by satisfying an appetite or desire of the body. We can even get confused about our relationships and wonder, do we really matter? I've talked this week to some of our church members who are homebound. They're not able to get out at all. And they all tell me that tell me the same thing. They're, they're coping, but it's lonely. We have to remember that this feeling of isolation that we have, some people live with it every day. And so sin has broken us apart. And this is what Jesus comes to do. He comes to put our souls back together. He comes to heal our souls. And so what's important is to come to Jesus and say, will you please help my soul to come together? Now, you can start that when you start your relationship with Jesus. When you acknowledge the truth of your life, we call that confessing your sins. And then when you ask Jesus to forgive you, that starts the healing process. And then when you ask Jesus to guide and direct your life, and he will begin to put the pieces back together. If you wait until the middle of a crisis to heal your soul, you face an uphill battle. But we're in that crisis now. So I want to offer you four spiritual disciplines that will help you find peace. And I think these are important. The first one is you need to pray intently or deeply. Pray deeply. I want to encourage you not just to pray for yourself or your loved ones. Do pray for our leaders. Pray for our president that he would have wisdom. Pray for our governor. Pray for our mayor. Pray for frontline health care providers, doctors and nurses, EMTs, first responders. 
How about remembering to pray for truck drivers who are making sure we have the supplies we need and the store clerks who are often the least of these. Pray that they would be protected from the virus. Pray for those who are sick with the virus that they might be healed and pray for God's comfort for those who've lost someone they love. This is a time for us to pray deeply. I also want to encourage you to study intently. Study God's word. God has a message for you. One of the reasons we believe it's important to read the Bible is not just for the content of the scripture, but for the promise of scripture. This is a good time for you to memorize some scripture. I think John 14, 27 is a good verse to memorize. And no matter how old you are or how hard you think it is to memorize, you can memorize this. Peace I give to you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I wonder what would happen if you were able to recite that verse to yourself as a way to calm yourself in these anxious times. I also want to encourage you to give generously. Now, I know whether we're doing church virtually or whether we're doing it in person, whenever a pastor starts talking about money, everybody gets nervous. I want to tell you why it's important for you to give generously. Because the temptation for you in this moment is to be self-centered, to be absorbed with your own selfishness, to be absorbed with your own focus. Giving is the number one way we attack self-centeredness. So I would encourage you to give generously. Hey, if you're part of the Alistri family, we have easy ways you can give online. If you're not comfortable doing that, there's an old-fashioned way called a check and mail, and you can give that way. And if you're not comfortable giving to Alistri, that's okay. Give to the American Red Cross. Give to Sumter United Ministries. Give to some local cause. Most of them have online options. You need to give so you can attack the selfishness in your life. And finally, the last spiritual discipline I want to mention in this part of the message is you need to fast intentionally. Fast intentionally. Why is that so important? Fasting is doing without something so that you can focus on the presence of God. Some of you need to fast a meal so that you can really know the presence of God. Do without some food so that you can be reminded that God is all you need. Now, maybe you don't need to fast from food. Maybe you need to fast from social media. I've seen several posts of people on Facebook saying that, that they have decided to get off social media because it's making their anxiety go up. That is a good, wise decision. Some of you, let's be honest, you need to fast from binge-watching Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is you're binge-watching. Real interesting a study has shown that for every two hours you watch a media stream uninterrupted, your IQ goes down 10 points. And this is a time when we need all the smarts we can get. So fast. I think these four disciplines will help you. Pray deeply. Study intently. Give generously. Fast intentionally. Jesus says... I'm not going to give you comfort like the world gives. The world is telling you to stay busy. Instead, Jesus is saying, I want to give you a peace where you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to let your heart be agitated. Practice being in my presence and you will find peace. 
Lieutenant Colonel Doug Morshick was a physician with American troops in Iraq in 2005. Part of his duties were not only to care for American soldiers who were wounded, but also to care for POWs. And so one Sunday, he found himself in the back of a Humvee, armor-plated, transporting an Iraqi soldier, a prisoner of war, to Baghdad to treat a severe abdominal infection. Now, Doug was far away from home, and in this sense of isolation, being laden down with 50 pounds of what they call battle rattle, armor, weaponry, in this Humvee where there's all the noise of bouncing around, the machine gunner is swiveling, checking out to make sure they're not threatened, hearing the radio squawk, he, he felt overwhelmed. He felt chaos. He felt a little sorry for himself. You can understand. But he remembered that his son-in-law had prepared for him a collection of the worship songs on his MP3 player. I needed to pause and explain. Before we had smartphones, we had MP3 players. And so he pushed play, and the first song that came up was a song by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And Gary said it was just amazing. In that moment, he had this overwhelming sense of peace. It suddenly did not matter that he was in Iraq, but he felt the peace and grace of God. He could look out the bulletproof glass of that Humvee and see the people of Iraq and see Sunnis and Shiites and know that God loved every one of them. He could look at the prisoner of war on the floor of that Humvee and he was reminded that he was to love his enemies and do good to those who persecuted him. He could look around at his fellow soldiers and say, greater love has no man than this than that he lay down his life for his friends. Gary said he felt deep, deep peace. Now, if God can bring peace to a doctor on the battlefields of Iraq, don't you think God can bring peace to you on the battlefield of the pandemic? Ask for peace. Now, the second word I want to share with you this morning is the word love. Jesus once had an encounter with an expert in the law, a teacher of the law, and it sets up one of the most famous parables of all time. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we hear this story, how it's set up. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Now, we don't know exactly why this expert in the law wants to test Jesus. Maybe to make Jesus look bad. Maybe just to test and see, would he give the correct orthodox answer? And Jesus, who has never played for a fool, responds by asking a question back. How do you read the law? What do you think it says? And, and we're told that this man answers, well, love the Lord and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, that's the right answer. You see, knowing the right answer is seldom the problem. What does Jesus go on to say? 
Do this and you will live. The issue is doing the right answer. When the expert in the law asks about eternal life, and we hear that as going to heaven, but it's not that. It is about living a life that matters, living a life that counts. It's a life that can start here on earth when you follow Jesus Christ and it goes on beyond death. Eternal life begins here, not after you die. And this man knew the answer, but Jesus correctly understood that this man did not do the answer. Now, when this man answers, he, he points love in two directions. Now, isn't it interesting? So often in church, when we talk about love, we talk about receiving the love of God, and that's important. But here, we're talking about loving God intentionally. Every relationship that is healthy has an intentional flow of love. Love that we might have for our Heavenly Father has to flow up to Him. To love God means you want what is best for God. It means that whatever is in your power to do for God, you will do. And then Jesus says, I want you, or the, the Scripture says, I want you to love out. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Take intentional steps toward your neighbor. Now, if you grew up in church, you may know this is actually set up for this famous parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan where there is a man who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's attacked, he's beaten, he's left for dead, robbed. Two religious leaders go by, they don't take care of him. It is the Samaritan, the outcast, who actually does the loving thing because love does. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. How much time are you spending each day intentionally loving God? How much time are you spending each day praising God? You don't have to come into a worship room to praise God. How much time are you spending saying, God, you matter to me? God, I see your hand at work. Then how much time are you spending each day loving other people? Now, I think in this time, God's given us a lot of opportunities to love people. Again, this is one of the ways you will attack a sense of loneliness and anxiety and selfishness in your life. Find someone to love. Maybe it is checking on your neighbor. I, I paused and checked on my neighbor yesterday, an older man who lives next door to me. How are you doing? Is everything okay? Can I get you anything? He told me he was fine. Let me tell you something else I think love means right now. <laughs> love means not hoarding the toilet paper. Don't go into a store and buy up everything for fear that you will run out. Love means leaving something for somebody else. Love means sharing what you have. Now, <clears throat> earlier this morning, I did say something about uh, love means sharing your toilet paper, and somebody put in the comments, is that before or after use? It's before. Let's just be clear. But here's the truth. God's going to give you Dozens of small ways every day to love someone. It'll make you a healthier person. So two words so far, peace and love. And the last word, joy. It's kind of a strange word to attach to a pandemic. But I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. 
only in that we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now that seems so strange to us. And Paul says, I want you to find joy in affliction. You hear that and you almost wonder, were early Christians sadist? Did they just love being miserable? Not at all. Early Christians, when they were afflicted, when they had trouble, when their life was an agitation, they did not spend a lot of time trying to wonder why this happened to them. They did not try to spend a lot of time figuring out who to blame. Instead, they would offer those moments to God and say, God, what are you trying to teach us? God, what do you want us to learn? Every moment of your life can be used by God. Every moment of your life can be used by God. John Ortberg, who is one of my mentors uh, through his writings, was going through a particularly difficult time in his life. He faced many obstacles. Life had become very difficult. He was experiencing some depression, some anxiety. Those two often go together. And so John reached out to his mentor, a man named Dallas Willard. And John began to share with Dallas all of his troubles, all of his concerns, all of his burdens, how he felt so defeated, like he wasn't making progress, like he just didn't think that he was going to be able to overcome the obstacles that he faced. And after John laid out his troubles, he paused and gave Dallas the opportunity to respond. And Dallas very thoughtfully paused and then said, Brother John, this will be a test of your joyful confidence in the Lord. I love that story. I don't like to be tested any more than you do. But moments of testing are opportunities for us to actually grow our character. And that's what Paul is pointing out here. You see, to, to respond to affliction in joy means that you're actually looking for the signs that God's at work, that you're not alone. And when you do this, Paul says, you begin to build endurance. Another word for endurance might be resilience. Do you think we need resilience in our culture, in our country today? Do you think maybe some people need to actually learn to endure? You see, we don't have to be threatened by every piece of news we hear when we have a sense of endurance that we know we're in trouble now, but that trouble will come to an end. And as we build that endurance, Paul says, then we get proven character. It's an interesting Greek word. It's very specific. It's used of soldiers as they were tested in battle. What gives a soldier confidence in battle? They've been in battle before. Character is your operating system. It's the, the way your soul pieces fit together. And I know every one of you at some point, you've experienced an operating system error on your computer. Something doesn't work. So you try to turn it off and turn it back on. Well, your character 
It needs to be able to operate your soul correctly. And as you build endurance, you're going to prove your character. And that, in turn, is going to lead you to hope. We're not talking about pie-in-the-sky hope. We're not talking about you know, thinking that just suddenly there's going to be a snap of fingers and everything's going to be solved. We're talking about having a hope because you have seen God at work, you are seeing God at work, and that means you know he will be at work in the future. That there's nothing that's going to pass into your life over the next few weeks that catches God by surprise. And because you are finding joy in the affliction and because you're building endurance, your character is going to produce hope instead of despair. My daughter called me yesterday, and she said that there was a rumor going around town. Several of her friends had, had sent her a message that they needed to quickly go to the grocery store because the National Guard was about to clamp down, and there was going to be martial law. First of all, don't believe everything you see on the Internet. Second, even if that happens, which it's not going to, but even if it does, Don't you think God can still take care of you? This may be a time that is a test of your joyful confidence in God. I love the way Paul finishes out this verse. He says, you are going to have the the love of God and the promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. These three words... Peace, love, joy. One of them is for you. I'm not sure which one. I wish I could sit down and talk with each of you individually. But I think one of them is for you. Maybe you need to ask God for peace. Maybe this needs to be your prayer. Jesus, let me have the peace you promised. Begin healing my soul. Maybe you actually need to start a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Confess your sins and invite him into your life to take charge. Maybe the word love is the word that God has for you. That God wants you to spend some of this time actively loving him and loving your neighbor. Maybe the word that God has for this time for you is joy. A good prayer to pray is, Lord, help me find joy in these troubled times. One of these words, I think, is for you. Peace, love, and joy. Can I share a prayer with you right now? Father, I want to thank you for being the God who knows all and the God who is working in everything. You are amazing. Each of us has our own journey, our own struggles. And so, Father, I pray for your comfort. I pray for your wisdom. I pray, God, that you would show us which of these words might be for us today. Father, for those who today need peace, bring peace to them. And Father, I want to pray especially for people who do not have the peace of knowing Jesus. Today, let them accept him as Savior and Lord. 
Father, I pray for people who need to be reminded to love, to love you and to love people around them. Show us the opportunities you'll give us to love. And finally, Father, I pray that we would have joy even in the midst of all this trouble. Help us, Father, to see what you are doing in our lives, the character that you are growing, and help us find joy in every moment brought to us. It is in Jesus' name I ask all these things. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this service from Alice Drive Baptist Church. Alice Drive is one church with two locations. We have a location at the corner of Wise Drive and Loring Mill Road in Sumter. That location has services at 8.30 on Sunday morning, which is a traditional service, two contemporary services, one at 9.45 and one at 11, and then a service on Monday night for people who can't make it on Sunday, and that service is at 7 o'clock. We also have a location called Pocala Church. It meets in Pocala Springs Elementary School on Bethel Church Road in Sumter. That location has two services at 945 and 11. I hope we will see you in person very soon. I'm Clay Smith, the lead pastor at Alice Drive Baptist Church in Sumter. Check us out at alicedrive.org. God bless you. Hope to see you soon.